0: Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda, and I'm Jake Bennett. Wait, do I say my name too? I'm Matt Stouffer. Should he?
1: I'm your friend Matt Stouffer. There we go. There and we welcome go. to episode 133, 34, 35, 134 of the North Meet South Web Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, he's back.
2: It's been a long time. It's been literally 120 episodes since Matt has been on the show. Wow. You were you were on episode 14 of the show, and we were talking about up and running with Matt Stouffer. This was before you had published the book. I went back and listened. You were talking about you had a four-year-old toddler. You wow. had just got a Chorky. Wow. You All of the things, man. So Life's nostalgic. Listening back. It is, right? Yeah. Seriously. So many things have changed since then. Uh, I should have looked at the date for when we recorded that. But now you've got a full beard. Back then, you were just a very clean-cut young man. Yeah. No, bar- you know, barely any hair on top and yeah, barely was... any hair on your face. And now look at you. If I had a four Just... year
0: old, that's at least six years ago. So.
2: Yeah. 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 Life is so different. crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We've
0: Absolutely. all lived through a global pandemic. Well, not through, yeah. but we've lived into a global pandemic. So yeah, that alone right. <laughs> can make life significantly different.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And so uh, for those uh, folks who are listening, who might not know you, which I, I think is probably a very slim
0: uh, few. But would you mind just introducing yourself for the folks? Sure. My name is Matt Stauffer. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I work as the one of the co-founders and the uh, CTO and COO at Titan, which is a web consultancy that works primarily in Laravel, Vue, and React. And I like to be a nice guy on the internet. That's about it. It's, it's true.
2: And a good teacher, right? I think, and yeah, a I good guess teacher.
0: I run the Laravel podcast and blog and speak at sp- conferences and stuff like that, YouTube, mm-hmm. all that. The videos are coming back.
1: The live streams, the recorded videos. Yes, mm-hmm.
0: I'm. I'm. I'm slowly coming back. My goal right now is a, a YouTube video every two weeks. Although I missed it last week, last week because my kids were on vacation. So mm-hmm. every two, occasionally three weeks, that's the goal. So
2: yeah, and so that so some of that, some of the things you're talking about right now is sort of the impetus for why I wanted to to, to have you on the show. Is I got one of your newsletters. And I was looking at all the changes and all the things that are going on for you with your new role at Titan and basically, you know, recommitting yourself to this idea of public education with podcasting, blogging, video tweets. You've been much more active just on the interwebs recently. Mm -hmm. And so it's been cool just to kind of see, I know that, you know, life has just been busy for all of us. Uh, but I, I messaged you back and I was like, Hey dude, I am so glad to just see that you're back and loving life. And like, this is going to be great to see more of you again because it's been it's been a while right yeah. it just and it's like it's been busy for me too i haven't been keeping up with stuff very much but i was just really glad to get that newsletter and hear about all the cool things that are going on in your life Thanks for i great. did want to review real quickly so we had I, I looked up all of the times that we've talked about you or that we've had you on the show. So I was shocked. Michael and I were both actually shocked to find out that you've only been on the show one time. We've only mm-hmm. had you on the show one time. Shame on us. Well, first all right. of all. No big deal. Um, I know but you but in me. episodes <laughs> we do. We absolutely do. In episode sixteen, we had a fifty percent off Laravel up and running code. All right. And then in episode eight one eighteen, your beard got a shout out. <laughs> that's fantastic yes and that was that was the that was the other two times that you've been mentioned on the show but that was the two times other two times you made it into the title or into the show notes and so yes and so uh yeah anyway super glad to have you on matt and uh just really glad to be able to spend some time together um yeah the sort of what i wanted to talk about primarily was the new role that you've kind of shifted into at mm-hmm. Titan. Mm-hmm. I feel like for anybody who's been in the development world for any amount of time that works with a team, there is, you know, especially if you're like one of the first devs on the team, which you were, mm-hmm. right? You were like the first dev, yeah. right? And so there's just this, this, you know, a rising tide raises all ships or whatever that, however that saying goes, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, as the company grows, like the amount of responsibility that you kind of have just sort of grows as well. And so there are some of us who, I know at one point I was really pushing back on that. Like, I just want to do development. I I remember we, we had a call you and I did, and you gave me some good advice and you're like, listen, Mick, you can stay doing dev work and that's, you can, you can do that and that's fine, but you're only going to be able to, you know, there's a ceiling to that. There's Mm -hmm. a ceiling to like, and if you want to do that, that's fine. Do that. But it's just like, you're going to, you're going to run into some, some ceilings at that, uh, you know, at some point. And so I pushed through, kind of went more, um, more route of like helping to manage a team. And so you you did as well. So you went CTO and now you're COO. So even more, so like you're literally a triple title guy. You've got co-founder, you've got CTO. And if that wasn't enough responsibility, you've also got COO now. So I'm just really interested to hear about this journey and sort of you know, what the trade-offs were for you, what this new role looks like. I know that's a lot to talk about right up front, but that's basically for me. I just wanted to spend an episode just unpacking that and talking about like what that's looked like for you. So that's that's my goal so well, i'm i'm
0: honored that you want to hear about this and uh you know me you can you can say that i could just talk for an hour straight i will not do that for sure but <laughs> i i could talk really quickly about just like kind of the progression that's happened from yeah initial until where i am and see where it prompts questions from you guys maybe i'd love to hear that yeah okay so when we started titan um we had actually the the company story um, actually starts before when we started Titan. Dan, my business partner, started a company with two of his college buddies called Good Food Productions years before we met. And one of them got sniped away by a customer and one of them split off and started a Drupal shop. So by the time I met Dan, it was Dan alone and he had a collection of clients. One of his clients said, I've got this huge project for you. Can you hire up for it? So he was trying to hire people, having all this trouble. He was about to start hiring people overseas, had no idea what he was doing, mm. and overheard me teaching one of my buddies um, how to code in our shared co-working spaces after hours. And he's like, what technology are you talking about? That's how we started. So he hired me to get working on the project. And then we would like working together so much that we ended up basically converting to being partners when I left Chicago uh, or a little bit before that and said oh we're gonna you know we'll re- rebrand good fruit productions and stuff like that and it'll be us and we had an employee and then we didn't have an employee and then we had a part-time employee some contractors but at the beginning it was basically he was growing tired of programming and i was growing tired of business development so we're like great you bring mm. in the business match you, made in heaven you run all the you know all that kind of stuff and i'll just get the work done and then when we got more work i was like i'll bring in contractors so i brought in A friend of mine, Jameson, who had worked on uh, my software as a service with me, I brought in some people I knew who were interested in programming and I trained them as I basically brought our first couple of people were basically apprentices. So I trained them up and kind of like, so it's very, very hands on. But as the company grows, we're like, oh, we're going to be really flat and it's going to be, you know, just we're all buddies. But as it grew, we just got to a point where I was like, it's not even that I was like, I should do something different. It was more that I realized that I had already started giving responsibility to certain people more because Mm -hmm. I couldn't do everything. And the people had already kind of risen to to the top of who were ready for that. And I was like, well, if I'm giving them more responsibility, it's dishonest to not pay them more, give them a different title. And I was like, you're yeah, senior developers, yeah. right? We there did that go. for a little yeah. while. And then one of the two senior developers, Samantha Geitz, got an amazing other job. And we had another crop of people. And I was like, all right, we're going to do another level. And so now Keith is going to be sort of like the head senior developer. We call him a principal programmer. And then we have these lead programmers. And I'm going to step away a little bit. And that point was when I started taking on more non-programming responsibilities at the company. So I started do, handling a lot of the, the people ops related stuff. Like, you know, I'd already done the majority of the hiring, um, but I started doing a little bit more of the people ops stuff. And then Keith, just over time. So can you do, can you describe that a little yeah, bit? Like what you
2: mean by people ops? So like, is this like a typical, you know, what an HR role sort of would look like in, yeah. in another organization?
0: Yeah. So we have, um we have a HR people ops is usually just like a kindly related renamed HR role because Mm -hmm. you don't want to call them resources. We've done the same. Yes. Um, but our employee March who does that, she has a whole bunch of different roles that she does a little bit of. And so Mm -hmm. it wasn't as if like, I was like taking over her job. It was sort of like I was overseeing what she was doing. So yeah, so it's sort of an HR type thing. So I, I was just like anything that had to do with difficulties or Help helping people or anything that was basically people related. I'd already had a really big hand on because the majority of our people and our hiring and everything was the programmers. But this was a little bit more like, all right, well, I'm going to more officially do it for everybody. So what is our review cycles and all that kind of stuff. So it's just kind of it was sort of a natural thing. It was a little bit less like, a, oh, I'm going to make this shift, but more like as I'm able to not just think about code all day because now I can trust that the leads have their projects. And if they need anything, they come to Keith. And they only come to me, you know, in the occasional situation, I was able to kind of spread my attention a little bit more around the company. So that's just been kind of happening more gradually. And um, this past summer... Dan and I talked and you know we were at 30 people at that point and data was just wow, like that's awesome. Yeah, it was great but it's also a lot, right? It's a big shift. It is. And one yeah. of the things they talk about often when you talk about the um just kind of the organization organizational shape of groups of people is that there's inflection points and 3 is one and 7 is one and 20 is one and 50 is one and 120 I think where basically the organization of a group and how they feel connected to each other and how many levels of management you need are often um, striated along those things. So like yeah, when you, sure. when you go past 20, all of a sudden you're in this awkward moment where it doesn't really fit until you click up to the next size. Right. And so we hit that exact same thing. We tried to stay at 20 for the longest time and we grew up, grew up to 30 and it was awkward. And all the things that had worked at 20 didn't really fit super well. And mm. I just spent a lot of my time and energy and attention saying, I don't want to go to the next because, and the problem is one of the reasons you hit those bands is because especially in a company like ours. Between 20 and 50, you're in this place where the culture of 20 doesn't fit, but you don't have the, um, what do they call it? The, the things of scale, basically, that you have at 50. Yeah, economies so, of scale. Exa- right? Yeah, so you're just like pushed to grow bigger until you hit the economies of scale that justify the culture yeah. changes you needed to make. And I was like, I don't want to make those culture changes. Therefore, I don't right. want to grow like that. I liked it when we were at yeah. twenty. So I spent a lot of time and a lot of energies just trying to figure out communication stuff, processes, people stuff, and trying to do all that without uh, without turning ourselves into this really like bureaucratic, gross, you know, thing. And I was like, oh, it's so tough, man. I just want to it's go so back to tough. twenty. You know, um, yeah. So I hear that, like, I
2: hear that same exact thing from. So, like, the president who started our company. He like, he had it at like 40 people Mm -hmm. and he's like, this is perfect. This is all I want. Like when I came on board, that was it. It was 40 people. He knew everybody's name. He knew everybody's kids. Yeah. He like, you know, he would have like every Christmas party was like at his house, Mm -hmm. you know, he just loved that size, but it was like, we had clients banging down our doors trying Mm -hmm. to give us more work. And it was just like, we don't have the capacity and he didn't want to do it. So he basically handed it off to another guy and was like, Here, you, you go do it. You go mm-hmm. grow it. And I, I don't really want to do this. So he stuck around until we hit about 100 and then he just checked out. He's like, set, I'm gone. Yeah. And, and so now it's like we have like 250 people, right? Mm-hmm. So it, but you do hit these weird like transition periods where it is a really like the word that you said is bureaucratic. Nobody wants to work for an organization that is defined by that word. Mm -hmm. Like nobody's gonna like come on board because, oh, we're very bureaucratic here. Like, ooh, that does not feel good for anybody. So it's such a challenge though, because like you said, as you grow in size, you have to formalize so many things and it feels so much less personal, Mm -hmm. right? Because you just kind of have this like implicit agreement, like, Hey, I'm cool. You're cool. Like if I have a problem, I'm just going to talk to you. Right. I don't need a policy to tell me how to do that. But it's like, as you grow in size, you have to outline some of those things. Like this is what the expectation is. And if we don't meet that expectation, we're going to have to have a conversation. And this is how many conversations we have to have before we have it. You know what I mean? I I hate to do that, but like, you got to do it at some point. So I understand some of the challenges you're talking about, because we've been recently going through some of those
0: yeah and it's not like you can't hit those sizes without being bureaucratic there's probably Mm -hmm. companies much bigger but i just know that for us the that shift from 20 to 30 sucked and i'm not saying i'm the people who joined us between 20 30 amazing human beings who i love you know like i'm not saying that but just like the i could just feel that i needed more policies that i needed more structures and i didn't want to i didn't like that and so i did spend a lot of time and energy both building those but then also trying to build them in a way one of the things i found is that like people who don't know what they're doing in the moment in, in of running a company what whichever moment it is often reach for like what the 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 known thing is to do and that is usually when some of the biggest mistakes are introduced so one of the things we talk about tight note all the time is when we see people who are like oh, everything was falling apart and now we use jira and ddd and you know 20 different systems that are all these like hyper structured things that are not actually what they need and these like We use agile, but it's really just these super rigid processes like they're trying to say we were we were in a bad spot. We didn't know what to do. And rather than figuring out what to do, Mm. we look to everybody else and to tell us what to do. And they went from what might have been a good and healthy thing to now this like even worse thing than when they didn't know what to do. Right. And so I was very wary of that. I was like, it's very easy to say, oh, we've gotten bigger. We're at 30. We got to do what bigger companies do. And I was like, bump that. We're not going to do that, which means it just was all consuming. Like for a year and a half, all, all I was focusing on was trying to figure out how do we figure out our our size and our structure and our shape? And this was in the middle of COVID. So I, I was going to say, it's it's part all-consuming. It's also, I got divorced a and a global pandemic started within you know a couple of months of each other, right? So I'm yeah. also trying to figure out how to be a stay-at-home dad 50% of the yeah, time I, with my kids who are not in school and also work in the company. So yeah, I mean, I definitely disappeared off the internet for a little bit. But from a work perspective, it was all just trying to figure out how do we make this culture work? without just saying, oh, well, that's what other people did. Because when you do what everybody else did, you're going to get the results that they did. And that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to do something different, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, I would be curious to like talk about maybe some of the things that you felt like that you implemented that went really well. And maybe some of the things that you implemented that you're like, we need to step back on that. Like maybe that maybe something that didn't go quite as well. But before before you kind of go into that, one thing I wanted to skip back just for a second and say is, like regarding those policies and like the bureaucratic stuff, whatever. Like one of the one of the I guess value statements that we say uh, where I work is that to be unclear is to be unkind, right? And so, so what we've, we've tried to do is say like, listen, these these policies and these things aren't meant to be a way for us to justify harming you, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a way for us to clearly communicate expectations up front. So you know what it looks like to have a win and you know what the expectation is from us. Right. Yeah. And then if there's ever disagreement upon something like you, you haven't agreed upon standard by which you're measuring things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we try and just like, I guess, cause you do get some of that pushback from people who are like, I just don't like, I, I just don't like how that feels. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't like having a handbook and all that, whatever. But that's kind of been our goal and, and sort of the thing that we've used to sell it, I guess, to people who are who are a little bit resistant to that is like we're just trying to be clear. To be unclear is to be unkind. And we're just trying to be kind by setting clear expectations. And you know, we do this in relationships and stuff too, right? Like if you ever go to like counseling or anything like that, like, this is a big thing, like setting clear expectations. And so yeah, uh, we try and get ahead of it before it before it becomes problematic. So
0: yeah. Yeah, I, I totally track that. And I mean, one of our core values is like be kind to speak truth don't wait and that's something outside of the context of what you just said it's very very important like when someone will first join join the company they'll often try to read my mind and try to figure out like well he's saying this but is this actually the the case and i'm just like if you if i have a problem with you you're going to know it you might not like it but you're gonna know it immediately and so saying that but then having someone saying well i didn't know this was a policy or i didn't know whatever it felt out of sync with each other because like you said like the best way to help someone know what they're supposed to be doing or not doing is to tell them. And mm-hmm. when you're five people, you just make these assumptions that we're all on the same page. And it's 98% of the time. It was true because we just get each other. When Even when we're 15 or 20 people, there's just so much shared understanding and experiences of what we're about here and what our values are that the conflicts just didn't come up. And then when we found ourselves at 30, just people were like, well, you didn't say this or should I have this? And I was yeah. like, well, I just kind of thought everybody knew that for the last ten years, yeah, yeah. everybody's just known that. Well, at thirty, that's you just can't anymore. And so, yeah. like you said, like the the right thing to do was to 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 be more explicit about those things. But how do you be? Um, one of the things that Dave Hicking, who used to work at Titan, talked about a lot was organizational scar tissue. He basically says mm. when an organization has a negative experience, what the tendency to do is to then build a structure to make sure that negative experience never happens again. And scar tissue is good for protecting us, but it's also not good because it makes you very rigid. Right. And so, like, how do you how do you build up things in response to these issues without turning it into the fullness of like a rigid scar tissue that keeps you from being flexible, keep you from being able to still treat people like people? And so that was that was the dance, you know,
2: man, I love that organizational scar tissue. That's super good. (laughs) I'm sure that with my team, because like, I do find that like, okay, you know, in our HRP, you know, we call it personnel resources or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it is. But it does feel like so many times you end up having to create a policy for that very one off situation. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, like this has never happened before, but it happened one time. So we should probably have a policy in place to make sure that that, that doesn't happen again, or we're prepared for when it does. But then uh, yeah, like you said, rigidity is the uh, is the debt that you pay for that particular yeah. sort of thing. Is this just like why is this why is this handbook two hundred pages long? Oh, that's right, because we have all these one off policies that never have ha- that never happen. But just in
0: case, yes, you know. And one thing that has really helped us with that is defining what our, our core values are. Because rather than mm. saying we're gonna have two hundred pages of this, we worked really, really, really hard to define core values that we can evaluate new situations against. And one of the things we tried to do is say, what have some difficult situations been lately? And do we believe that these core values that we've established would have given us guidelines to say, you know, this was a problem, not because we wrote a policy about it the last time it happened, but because it's obviously connected to this particular core value not being met. And um, I, I wish I could say that in the history of Titan, I've never um, put people on performance improvement plans, you know, like the, the whole, like, you're not doing so well, but we want you to come back better it's it's happened. it's not fun, but having a a shared understanding, maybe not of every single thing a person should or should not do, but at least those core values allows you to have this kind of like, well, we want you to be behaving more in sync with empathize relentlessly and trust comes first and be kind, speak truth, don't wait. If those are our core values, and we believe that the primary concern we're having here is that this person is not behaving in synchronization with those core values, then we say, here are some explicit things you can do that we came up with for this particular situation that will only apply in this particular situation because the thing that lasts across all situations are those core values. And so that was in response to your question, what is one thing that we've applied policy-wise? One of the things that I don't know if it's exactly a policy, but I would say one way that I've avoided creating policies is by trying to instead create, it's not metrics, but create... things that you can judge new decisions against, right? Like values that we want to use. So every single time something comes up, for example, and I've I've said this for years before we had the core values, when Dan and I um, had to make the decisions about healthcare, we had this kind of value of being a company that takes care of people. And we had to make a healthcare decision about, do we want a plan that helps people optimize their tax savings because of HSAs? Or did we want a healthcare plan that is most beneficial to, you know, single mothers? And we're like, cool, our values line up with optimizing for the plan for single mothers because we already had those values. And so that decision was super easy to make because we had those shared values. So in general, I think the most successful thing that we've come up with here is keep it to a few core things rather than a policy for every freaking thing that's happened and every freaking thing that could ever happen in the future. Because at that point, it's just rigid and also exhaustive and nobody actually reads it. So exhausting.
2: I love that. I love that. I I came up with a title for your next book, which is Refactoring to Core Values. Oh. So there you go. Yeah, dude. Well, it makes so much sense, right? I mean, it literally feels like it's so paired with like what we do every day, which is like we write out a bunch of code that just works. It's very like step by step by step, right? Very explicit and very rigid. And this is how it works, but there's no flexibility at all, right? Mm-hmm. It's just if it doesn't come in exactly this way, then I don't know how to handle this, right? If it's not a CSV with four lines, and, it, and I'm, I blow up my program, blows up, right? And so you you refactor to these classes which handle, you know, the, it's it's more of a general use sort of thing, less specific but more powerful, right? And so I said, you know, I basically wrote down from what you said, like resist or replace your policies with just like your reference to core values because it applies so much more generally to so many things and it and it you know you can never cover every edge
0: case with policies it's yeah. just never going to work right i mean and some so, some policies are good right like though for sure no sexual yeah. harassment that's a policy i'm okay to have yeah. but yeah. yes <laughs> right. try to lean yeah. on core values or whatever yeah, shared sure. shared understandings as, as much as possible
1: yeah yeah it's a it's nice to hear that it's um it's actually a big part of where i'm at now the, the company that we're at they really have like you know I've, I've worked at places before where they have their like three things or their values or whatever and you hear about them once and that's it where where i am now the core values are a part of day-to-day they are, they are reiterated mm-hmm. they are used by everyone we've got like a channel in in chat that's you know constantly reinforcing those values hey this person did this which is like you know it's you know filling all those things it's it's a constant constant reinforcement and like living those values and it's and it's one of the most refreshing things And and i think about it now i've been working for 18 years and it's it's like the first place that i've seen it and it's not it's not just lip service it's not like it's living those values it's um reinforcing them and it's making it like a core part every six weeks we have this um outside consulting firm come in and they've been coming in for about six years and it's like it's called leading teams and they get everyone in a room and we talk about our value about our values we talk about each other like it helps us to connect as individuals or you know within the common goal within the business it's not just over there you know somewhere that you might see if you walk past it on a wall it's mm-hmm. and i think living and breathing it and having everyone kind of buy into it as a business. And then, and then you kind of, you only bring those people into the business and they're very deliberate in hiring. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to live up to the values, if you're not going to be you know, a team player, if you're not going to do those things, then sorry, it's just not going to work out. And, and I think mm-hmm. that's like a thing that even since our merger last July, we still live and breathe those things every day. Um, and that's that's really refreshing to see because I've been through a few mergers and acquisitions, and those kinds of things usually are the first to go. So um, mm. it's a, it's a it's a it's a great place to be. And it and it's like I don't you know obviously hearing about you, I, I would expect nothing less of Titan to 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 live and breathe those kinds mm. of things. But it's it's just something that you don't hear about. Businesses don't talk about it outside you know, and it's and it's I don't think it's common. I think there are certainly businesses out there that want to do it and 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 live it but it's not like not in my experience at least
0: well i i want to to jump on that a little bit more i appreciate you saying that i think there's at least three pieces of this one of them is defining the core values um which because like, for example, Dan and I always had these core values, but we hadn't named them until just the last year. So we hired people who were a certain way. We encouraged and discouraged behavior based on certain things. And it was always consistent. It was consistent around our core values, but we hadn't named them. So naming them is important. Talking about them frequently is important. And we don't do a great job of that. Dan and I, since we've defined them, we're like, how do we get them around people more? How do we think about them more? And we're, we're growing But I would say like if someone at Titan was hearing this and they described your company, they'd be like, you're doing a lot better than the Titan is. And that's okay by me. We're working better, but I just want to be transparent, like communicating it. We're not great at, but actually living by it honestly is super important. I think we do a great job of that. And I I have a few friends who work at startups that got the, the consulting idea that they should do this and they, they define the core values. They talk about them all the time, but it's not actually honest you know there's Mm. these core values where they'll they'll do lip service to them they'll talk about them in a way as if they're actually being honored but it's not the reality that people live in day to day and so those things become these very trite kind of like yeah everyone knows it's bull right everyone knows you're not actually living that way and if you actually were to call this chief whatever out on the fact that she's not behaving in xyz way like then it wouldn't go well for you so it doesn't actually mean anything. Yeah, there's so. a
1: definite expectation in our organization that like you're going to call it out. If you see something that doesn't fit the values, I love if it. you see bullshit, you're calling it out, it doesn't matter who yeah. in the business is because if 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 an exec is going to call you out for something, the expectation is that that goes both ways. And right. like it's happened. Mm-hmm. There there have been people that have called out and it's like these these don't fit the values, you're not doing the right thing. And and it's mm-hmm. it's about how everyone responds. So yeah, we all make mistakes, but let's get back on track. It's the repeated, you know, if yeah. you, if you find yourself doing it repeatedly, then it's a different conversation. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's the the same. W- would you say be be nice, be honest? That that mantra?
0: Um be kind, speak truth, don't wait. That's yeah. one of our core values. We,
1: we don't have that so much in writing and not probably not codified in 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 such a way, but it's certainly something that that we're living as well, you know, especially being okay. truthful.
2: Yeah. I wanted to talk, so I I did want to actually, uh, before we, before we, you know, um, wrap one thing I do wanted to talk about, um, is valet Four. I know you've been spending a ton of time on that. So I would love to talk a little bit about that. And I know you're looking for beta testers as well. Beta testers as Michael would call them. Uh, so I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that and sort of some of the things that you're looking for help testing out. So we'll get to that eventually. Um, one of the things that you mentioned that is a massive challenge for so many companies whether you're in a whether you're in tech uh, you know technology or not is hiring it's really really difficult uh to hire people and to retain people i feel like every company in some sense has turned into a recruiting hiring company like the person who can figure out how to recruit and hire is the person who's going to win the game because so many people there's such there's so much turnover right now and so many i mean so many like cuts, like layoffs being made in so Mm -hmm. many of these huge organizations. Right. Uh, and so finding the right people, Michael had said this, right. Like really evaluating people against your values before you bring them in. Right. How do you catch people that are not going to fit in with your company before they get inside the company? Mm -hmm. Um, once people are in, how do you, uh, you know, what is the, um, Our our thing is, it's ROAR, R-O-A-R. It's recruiting, onboarding, assimilation, and retention, right? So like, how do you, you know, what is the process that you guys have found to, you know, obviously you've been successful in doing this because you, your team continues to grow, right? Like you're net positive, right? It doesn't mean that you never lose people to like other Mm -hmm. companies who are, you know, sniping your developers, but the company is growing. And that's that's a, a huge uh, testament to your success in this particular area. So, you know, you've talked about Dave Hicking. I know Dave Hicking was like a big part of like onboarding people originally, or like he he helped with some hiring stuff. I know is it
0: Marge or Margie? Marge, yeah.
2: Marge. Marge is 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 huge in this area as well. As she gave a, an amazing talk mm-hmm. last Laricon. I don't usually like soft talks. Like I'm not like a fan most of the time, you know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. just sounds terrible. Like most of the time, I'm just like, just like I want to look at, I want to see code, whatever. Give it a code. So that was the most entertaining. Yeah, exactly. That was the most entertaining, most enjoyable it. soft talk. I and I messaged her afterwards. It's like that was so good. So I know she's a big part of like probably you know retention. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just curious if you've if you've found like in your career at Titan, like here are some things that we do that we we really feel like make a difference. Whether it's it's any of those things, recruiting onboarding, assimilation or attention, any of that stuff, like yes. um, any tips
0: or things that you've found? First of all, I'm saying that I can give examples and tips, but we are not perfect. And I can tell you lots of examples if we had more time of the ways where we've screwed these things up. So again, I speak these things so that people don't look at us as if we've got it all right, but also so that people within Titan and who've left Titan or applied to Titan and not gotten jobs, Titan one what are darn like, oh, that's not, you know, that's not like we're sure. sure. Some Absolutely. things that have been successful for me It's funny because a friend of mine introduced me to a recruiter yesterday. He's like, this guy's legit. He's one of the good ones. And the guy's like, I don't need anything from you, but maybe if one day you need help hiring, you know, I can just be someone to talk to. And it's just like, that's not a problem. That's not, Mm -hmm. you know? So I do want to say that one of the things is that it comes easy to me. And I don't mean that to say I'm amazing. I mean that to say when things come easy to someone, it's a little bit harder to help other people do it, right? So I'm going to do the best I can to describe it, what I've done, but I also just want to acknowledge that Some of it's hard work and some of it is, I think it's just natural for my personality to just be this way. So I just want to acknowledge that to people who aren't this way naturally. But the number one thing for me in hiring is creating a place where people want to work. That's, that's, that's it. It, Because it doesn't just help you with hiring. um, It also helps you with retention. So you need to hire when you have growth or when you have retention issues we don't have retention issues people almost never leave titan i'm not saying i don't want them to leave i mean it's fine that people leave we're blessed give people our blessing when they leave they just our 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 drop-off rate or whatever you'd call it is stupidly low so so much so that some of the um ways of running a consultancy that kind of like bet on the fact that your highest paid employees you know because they like have been getting these raises every year are likely to leave at x percent of the pace we don't have that. So we're like, well, we have to find a different solution here because people just never leave. Right. But we tell people we want you to stay as long as you want. So I would say the number one thing is create a company that is a desirable place for people to work for and then communicate it to people who want to apply there and actually live that life so that people who stay there are actually wanting. And they're also telling people because like when people apply to jobs at Titan, they've almost always asked somebody else at Titan, is it actually that good? And the people at Titan advocate for it because they're like, no, it's really that good. Yeah, it's imperfect in these ways and that way, it's for sure. But these things are actually as good as they say. Um, so that's it. Uh, that's the number one thing: is consider the experience of the individual people as you're building this company culture. What decisions can you make that are going to honor them? What promises are you making to clients that are going to make their lives miserable? So we, you know, we talk, called it the Great Titan Experiment when we talked about not doing estimates and not. We still do some sometimes, but like. The vast majority of the time, there's no estimation at all. We talk about forcing people to work forty hours a week or less. We you know, it's like that what are the things that owners of companies and salespeople and business dev people do that make developers miserable? How can we not do those things? You know? mm mm-hmm. How can we develop the healthcare. best
2: example is a bad example, right? Yes, they yeah, exactly. Like it's like you learn from other people's mistakes. Like, what are yeah. the things that make people miserable? Let's not do that, right? Yep. That's a good and a good thing to like check yourself on.
0: And certainly just a ton of golden rule. Like Dan and I have both been programmers working at crappy companies. We've both worked 80-hour work weeks. We've both worked on the weekends, you know, because our bosses were jerks. We've both been made to call to account for promises that we didn't make, that somebody else made, but we have to fulfill them, right? So like it's very easy to say, like we we said from the very beginning, build building a company that we'd want to work for, like that's and if you could just do that, if you can build a company that you'd want to work for and make every decision you're making, you know, of course you got to be profitable, so it's not perfect. Um, but if you can aim in that direction, that's the number one thing. The number two thing for me is people say, okay, we got this wonderful company culture, blah 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 blah, but people just don't come to us. Well, they're not just going to come to you. This is not the freaking field of dreams, you know, like. For those not familiar, it's not just if you build it, they will come like if you build it, it's just there, you have to be out there. And so not everybody but a large number of people we've hired are because I developed a relationship with them years before at a conference on Twitter. And IRC and whatever else I've reached out to somebody to mentor them or whatever else it ends up being. So a large part of my job is just developing relationships with people in the developer community to a help the community you know be better and help individuals, but then also b have those relationships. So when we have a job offer come up, I'm like, oh, I've already got a list of six people. I'd love for us to be yeah. able to have the chance to work with, and especially at Titan we're hiring people who are capable programmers with lots of potential who are good people. And we'd much rather do that than hire somebody who's like a brilliant programmer and a jerk thing. It's coming to the culture right. thing that y'all were talking about. So for me, I'm out there discovering who's a real, real good person when they're not trying to impress me in a job application. And of course, then through the job application and maybe some of my experiences with them, we're also discovering, are they a good programmer? But the thing is building a job application that discovers if somebody's a good programmer is a lot easier than building a job application that discovers if they're a good person. And I can yeah, tell, someone is a good person and the type of person when I want to be around, when I see how they handle adversity, you know, over the span of a three year relationship much better than I can in a two hour long interview, you know? Yep. Yep. So that's the second thing. And then I think the third thing would say, I would say is just be as practical as possible in your hiring, in your actual application process. So all of our questions, all of our jobs and everything like that, they're not linked lists on whiteboards. The goal is to try and say, what are the things that we do in a day to day and what kind of questions, you know, can we ask that are challenges that our programmers run into? If a person can handle it this well, then that means they're more likely to be, you know, able to do the work we're doing. If they can if they answer it poorly, it doesn't matter what are the things they know. They can't do the things that come up in our day-to-day work life, then that is a indication that they might have trouble with it. Now, granted, we're trying to not just figure out what they can do today, but also how they can reason through it. So you also want to be um you want to be practical, but you also want to be trying to intuit, not just their ability to come up with the answer, but also how their brains work. So one of the things I do is I tell people the worst thing you could possibly do is pretend like you know something that you don't or lie to me or something like that, um, because that's going to be, you know, that's going to be a serious problem for us because now I know I can't trust you, right? Whereas yeah. Yeah. If, if you tell me you don't know, I know you're honest, but then also if I can hear you reason through it, a lot of people will say, I don't know, but here's what I would do to figure it out. I'm like, great. I see your learning process. I see your honesty. I see your ability to communicate. I see your ability to work with a situation where you don't know what's going on. So you can build these interview processes in a way where they give people opportunity to show who they are. And one of the things that I do there is make sure that no uh, no one should ever get every single have every single answer on my application process. If that ever happens, that means we got to have harder questions, right? So I always want an applicant to be uncomfortable at some point during the process so I can see what they're like when they're uncomfortable. So are they willing to be vulnerable? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do they literally have to pretend like they always have the answer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those are my main things. I'm sure there's a million more. That doesn't mean we get everybody perfect. You know that you also have to be willing to continue to reevaluate how are people fitting. And if someone doesn't fit, then you have a much harder time because you can't be like, oh, well, you don't fit. Just get out of here right you want to give yeah. somebody an opportunity and that's a very hard experience you have to say here are the things i want you to work on and here's the timeline in which you want to work on them and if they're like soft things versus hard things saying you need to work on your trust is really hard to say so getting getting the initial process right is as important as it could possibly be because it's so much harder to do it once somebody's actually in the organization and you're trying to work on it but that still happens sometimes and that one i have much less tips it's to me it's just more like very, you know be kind speak truth don't wait right if there's a problem talk about it kindly you know and if it gets to the point where you don't know how to resolve it say all right here's the best things we can come up with here's the timeline and if you reach the end of this timeline and you're not able to make these changes then we 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 all know together that this will not be able to move forward um here's the ways we're going to judge you here's the timelines in which we're going to judge you here's what's going to happen if you do not basically succeed this this performance improvement plan so it's still clear direct honest communication even if you're in a place where you don't know exactly what to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We, um, I was going to, there are two things came to mind while you were talking through that. One of them is just, yeah. I, I've had, I've had so many crash and burn experiences, not so many, but I have had some crash and burn experiences when it comes to hiring a new developer. And it, it, like you said, it gets really difficult to judge character. You just do the best you can. Right. And mm-hmm. you kind of, you know, you roll with it after that. But as far as evaluating, somebody's technical ability we've done a bunch of different ways and i think one way we did was you know i actually stole some of this from from you matt it was like hey here's a and this was just basically like an entrance exam sort of deal where it's like mm-hmm. here is a tiny little gist and mm-hmm. i want you to take this json payload and i want you to love it i want to see how you're going to extract these pieces of information right and you put like at the end you miss a comma or you know you miss you put an extra comma in the json payload or something crazy like that yep. right so You see how many people can kind of make it through that. And if they can, and if they're using, you know, what looks like at least relatively uh, modern PHP, then you're like, okay, like that's, that's first, first, you know, touch. That's good. But once they get to like some of the final rounds, what I end up doing is like for us, and it depends really on your organization, but for us, most of the people that are going to be working for our team, are not going to be only writing greenfield code all the time. In fact, the majority of their job is actually going to be looking at existing code and either bolting on features, or making fixes, or refactoring, or something like that. So I've found that for us, it's actually more valuable to take a piece of code that is actually in our production environment, mm-hmm. and I basically just sit with them and say, "What do you, like? Tell me, explain to me what you feel like this piece of code is doing. Like, yeah. what is what? What are you seeing here?" And you can get a pretty quick judge on that because, you know, a lot of times if you're in an interview, they're like, oh, I'm not in my IDE. Like, I'm not exactly sure how to do that, but like, they can kind of talk through it. But like, if they're looking at the code on the page and all you're asking them to do is explain it, mm-hmm. you can get a read pretty quickly for if they're faking it, right? Or if they, you know, and, and I'm talking specifically like a Laravel code base. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. dropping them into like Code Igniter and like just yeah. completely like, you know, brain melting them. I'm, I'm, it's, this is, this is a very common, This is a controller. Where would I go to find out what arguments are going to get passed to this thing? You know, and like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to go to the routes file, and like, I'm going to go. Is that an optional value? Is it not? Okay, are you validating the inputs? Do you know what I'm looking for as for like authorization? Should everybody be able to do this? This is an administrative function. Do you see anything that's happening here? Right. So they can run through all of those things really quickly, actually, Mm because it's not code that they're writing, but you can evaluate their understanding of it really fast. And so you do that two or three times, and you get a feeling um, for. If they know their stuff or not, and, and it doesn't take forever either. Cause they're not writing the code. They're just looking at code and telling you what it's doing. Yeah. So that's been helpful for me. Um, the other thing that I've heard people say, which this is a little bit harsh, maybe, but they say like good companies can recognize and eject, I suppose, I don't know if the word, I don't know what the word is, you know, eject isn't the right word. I'm thinking of like, I'm pulling the, you know, I don't have a good word for it. Terminate, get somebody, you know, moved on. In six months, right? Good companies, great companies can do it in six weeks. So you know you've made the decision to bring this person on, and it's it's that's great, like that's all fine and, and good. But if you can't, like if the the goal for me is within six, and that, those first six weeks are super intense. Like, and I when I say intense is I mean like I'm spending a lot of time with that person. You know what I mean? Like I'm really trying to like I've made the commitment to bring you on board, and now I'm going to spend some time really making sure that we're you know we're syncing up and that and and that we're. I get I'm getting to know you as a person more than just in the interview phase Mm -hmm. and we're pairing on code and we're working together. And, you know, some of these things make themselves manifest in the in in the first portion of their employment with with the team. So like one of the things I always say is like if it's like attendance issues right up front, like typically that's not something that's going to get better over time. Mm -hmm. Like if it's a brand new job and they're having like I mean, and there's exceptions to that, of course. But like, if it's a pattern you're seeing, like that's not something that's typically going to get better right away. So like, there are things that you pick up after like having a bunch of bad experiences. <laughs> I don't know if those things just come with time, though. Uh, probably some of it does. I don't know if those are general rules you could necessarily follow. But anyway, Michael, any tips from you? Any anything that you've uh, experienced kind of on your side of hiring? I don't know how involved you've been with the hiring process. I know you've kind of gone from just being a you know, I'm going to get the code done to, you know, you've taken some lead programmer roles and things like that. I'm not sure how much experience or how much, you know, you've had delegated to you as far as the hiring experience is concerned.
1: Yeah, I've, I've kind of moved away from the the people side of things in terms of management and hiring and, and things like that. I've like, I've <laughs> I've brought two people in where I am now. I, I, like this goes back to speak to the culture. You know, these were people that were other places that I've worked with in the past that were like happy where they were sort of that I've said, hey, do you want to come here? Like, it's, it's good people, it's good work. We're, we're kind of, like, at that escape velocity point where it's, like, we've got a lot of stuff that we built very quickly over a, a period of, like, over a short period of time. And it's, like, the kind of code that you'd expect for that kind of build. Um, And so now we want to get to the next level. We want to talk about scalability maintainability. And so we need more senior people to kind of do that. And so I've managed to get people that I think are good to come and work with me and then that's kind of extending now where we've got another one that these two people know is now starting in a in a week or so. But in terms of the actual hiring and and side of it, don't don't have much to do with it. I think we're gonna take on a lot more of the leadership of like code specifically in terms of making sure that we're following, you know, a, a common set of practices and patterns and, you know, doing things the the Laravel way. This is really key to us because we do a lot of things that are not the Larry of our way and it gets us in a lot of trouble in a lot of different places but yeah i just i get to be a casual observer to the process now which is nice because like people's stuff is hard you both know because you both do it we just we just spoke about it um so it's nice to not have to worry about any of that to be honest
0: <laughs> yeah well i know you said um i know you said we're going to wrap up soon so i just want to finish real quick the the kind of the journey so that we can kind of get done the the we talked about the people stuff a whole bunch. And that was kind of where I was a couple of years ago. Um, this year, Dan and I realized that the company had gotten big enough that we need him to focus fully on business development. And he had been, like I said, like he was doing a whole bunch of the whole organizational stuff. So we kind of notched his role down to, we call it, I think the chief strategy officer. So his job is to do business development and figure out how we're positioning ourselves out in the company and or out in the, in the industry and just really kind of like do that like high level business thinky stuff. So he's the one who talks to the the clients and the owners of the companies and stuff like that and talks about who we are and what we're doing. Um, I'm still the person kind of who's our face with the, the, the developer world. Um, but he's trying to become like more of the face with the per- with the with the business world. And then I was like, I'm gonna take over the rest of it. And um, so I've taken over responsibility for the finances. I've taken over responsibility for I was sort of like semi he and I were sort of like co leading like the project project management account management account relationships type stuff. So I'm sort of taking that over too. So the goal is to get to the point where I run the whole company except for Dan's niche. Dan's niche being business development, positioning us in the world and very, very important niche, right? Because um, it's all about bringing in business and people's you know knowledge of us. And I just keep the rest of the running, company running smoothly. And one of the reasons yep. that's been possible is because I spent eight years or nine years building up a technical side of the organization that now runs very smoothly with very minimal input from me. I'm still around, but like, First of all, the leads do a fantastic job. All of our developers do, especially the leads. And when they need something, they go to Keith. And Keith's now the director of engineering. And we're kind of like switching around, like what titles we use and what everything like that. But like Keith, Keith runs stuff, and as you know, he, he's you know if I'm I'm the CTO in part because Keith is still kind of implementing the things that I'm you know setting up, and also because when you only got a couple people. Putting somebody else in the C-suite would have felt a little bit weird for us. But in the end, it's it's basically just sort of like Keith runs the, the technical side of the company, which means I can now kind of take over the operational side. So the CTO is becoming a little bit more nominal over time. I'm still there, but I, I don't have to do 40 hours a week of it anymore. I do 5, 10 hours a week of CTO stuff. I do probably 10 to 20 hours a week of COO stuff. And I do 10 to 20 hours a week of working with Dan and helping him get his system set up and then also just trying to get back out in the world because I used to be a big part of our marketing and I just between COVID and all this operational stuff, I just wasn't able to do it anymore and I miss it. And it's also a value to Titan for me to be out there. So that's why I'm like, let me get back on YouTube. Let me get back on speaking at Laracons. Let me get back in this world because I love it. I miss it. It's great for recruiting. It's great for getting our name out there. So there's just a whole bunch of reasons for it. So so the things I'm doing right now are trying to get a biweekly YouTube out. Um, picking up the Laravel podcast, thank God. And then, um, what was the third thing? Oh, uh, working on the th- third edition of my book, uh, Laravel 10 came out so we can now really kind of get running with it. So, um, Anna Lizboa nice. has been working with me as a, as a research assistant, I think is her title. I'm not sure. Just making sure that she kind of gets all the notes lined up for me so I can go in and do a whole bunch of writing. So I've got a, re- a writer's retreat weekend scheduled in a couple weeks where I'm just going to try and go head down and get as much of version three done as possible. Um, and then Valley Four consumed a whole bunch of my time, and I know you mentioned we were talking about that. So basically, yeah, absolutely. Valley Four is not that different to the consumer, unfortunately. Um, it adds um, Ngrok is now going to be installed through Homebrew. You can now use um, Marcel Pozziot's expose as a um, as a share tool as well. And there's a I modernized the code base, but I still set it up so that if you have PHP 8 plus running on your system somewhere. If your primary PHP that you're working with is anywhere between PHP 7.1 and 7.4, it'll still keep working. So for people who work with WordPress day-to-day or something like that, as long as there is PHP 8 plus on your system, even if it's not your primary link PHP, Valet uh, 4 will still work for you. Um, But honestly, the vast majority of what I did in there, and there's like a status command that's going to make it a little bit easier to debug. But the vast majority of the work in Valet 4 was to make extensions, feature requests, debugging bug reports, all that kind of stuff, 100 times easier. The, the code base is tested up and down, left and right, beyond what you could possibly imagine, restructured, refactored. And I'm not a huge person for like, look, if it works, especially written stuff written by Taylor and Adam, you know what I mean? Like that's some seriously slick code in Valet. Right, the problem right. is they wrote for themselves, not for edge cases. And the fixes introduced to solve the edge cases turned what used to be this really kind of like really slick and really fast thing to a really slick, really fast thing that have just really weird bits here or there that are not super clear. And so what I tried to do was knowing the bits that are going to have to be there, keeping the spirit of their original style of writing. How do I make it so those bits don't make it miserable to work in? Because it had just gotten to the point where someone would pull request something. And I'm like, I have no idea how to even begin to look at that because it's touching one of the bits in a weird way. You know what I mean? So, I basically refactored things. I tried to keep it as close to the original or at least the spirit of the original as possible, tested the ever loving crap out of it, and just tried to prepare for the future basically um, so I wish I had more like really big exciting announcements with the valet v four you know like I renamed the valet p h p r c file to the valet r c file so that individual sites can have more cool configurations of their valet things, but none of it is like shiny and bright other than you can can use expose in in addition to ngrok right now so hopefully a lot of cool stuff coming for the future but in general it's just i think that it's going to be it's going to be more stable it's going to be easier to debug and if you do get to the point where you do need to like pull request a feature or create an issue it's just going to be a much smoother experience because everything's tested everything's clear so that's it
2: setting a solid foundation right you got it yeah, and I the, I think part of the other reason too that I brought it up is because you mentioned it on Twitter today that you're looking for some beta testers, beta yeah. testers, right? And so you have a list of six things that they could check to see... You know, you, you mentioned basically, I just want to make sure that none of these shifts to how the architecture is is structured are breaking people's day-to-day yes, workflows, right? Exactly. So the larger group of people that we can have that beta test this, the better it's going to oh, be yes. so that we can make sure that the edge cases that you're talking about are covered, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I just I just wanted to give, it, give a shout out for that. I know that you've spent a, a ton of time on it, and I just want to make sure that it gets the attention it deserves from the Thank community you. so that people can uh, get in there and, and you know, offer their contributions as well. So, and you know, thanks I, for should... doing that. I use, I use valet every single day, right? I, love it. I yeah. It's like my best friend. And so I'm so thankful to have the days of having to, uh, and, and PHP artisan service fine. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. many times I need to have multiple things kind of up so they can talk to each other and things like that. And valet just makes it so easy. And, uh, you know, valet secure, like I had to do this the other day for like a SAML endpoint sort of deal. So like, I just, I love, like I hadn't used that in forever. And just all of a sudden I was like, I needed
0: HTTPS. Oh, I know how to do that. Like it just, just simple, works, right? So yeah.
2: it's just it just works. I love it. So
0: I want to say something. To yeah, yeah, off, one sorry, quick note. I um, I was really curious that in the middle of all this refactoring, maybe I could make it work for Linux and WSL. I was really excited ah, yes, about that possibility because mm-hmm. I just get these requests all the time. So I built this whole branch. You can still see the branch. It's on there. I forget what it's called, but you can you can find the the closed pull request. And I basically like did a a pretty robust approach of switching between apt which is like the main linux um install installation manager for ubuntu at least and then homebrew and i did a ton of work to try and keep that as simple as possible and i was like man it's a little janky but i've got it working i'm pretty proud of myself and then it was time to work on the individual services like dns mask and stuff like that and i started digging into how different those services are not just between mac and linux but just be between different brands of linux and i was like this is a nightmare i'm not a linux programmer even if I were a Linux programmer, I would not want to write the differentiation between all these different flavors of Linux and DNS mass and stuff like that. And there's no way to keep this being the same thing that Taylor and Adam originally wrote, this light kind of slick thing, live and and you know, concise, and also support all those things. It is gonna become a just a freaking yeah monolith in the worst way just this huge mass of configuration things and i feel like it'll become a full-time job so my apologies to the linux of wsl users out there i really tried i could not pull it off i just i don't have that much time
2: and you know the good news is that there's so many other solutions right it's not like they are abandoned like there's there's sale there's takeout which you also created right so there's lots of love and support for these people who are on other platforms other than Mac, so yeah. it's you know I, I'm I'm glad for that at least. Maybe it's not valet, but there are plenty of other solutions out there. So yep, uh, so that's good to know. Uh, Michael, anything
1: that you want to chime in before I wrap here?
2: Because uh, I'm gonna wrap us yeah. up and uh, put
1: this one to bed. Very importantly, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Is there a All slick right. marketing video to go along with version four? no
2: oh my god
1: i didn't have one for version three either
0: i feel like the only ballet video ever was just the initial release So you know just go watch that one again i should yeah if i I find it it, i will go yeah i was just gonna say put in the show notes and if i find it i'll go link it in that that uh v4 pr when i'm asking people for feedback so they can go re-experience it
1: it's just the whole thing it was like a friday fueled thing like a friday night fueled taylor and adam just churned this out then delivered it yep yeah next day that's right
2: yeah that's so funny. That was great. Um, the branch out there for anybody who is interested in looking at it is extract for multi OS. So Thank it's you. still on Laravel, LA under branches. Uh, you can go find that there. Thank you, everybody so much for joining us. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. Uh, for you. those of you who don't follow Matt already on Twitter, you can find him at Stauffer Matt. I always forget and type in Matt Stauffer and then I'm corrected immediately. Yeah. Stauffer Matt, Stauffer like the cookie, S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R Matt. Mm-hmm episode 134 if you'd like to find show notes for it you can find them at northmeetsouth.audio slash 134 of course hit us up on twitter at jacob Benner or at michael dorinda or at north south audio if you have any questions all right everybody thanks so much and we will catch you around next time thanks matt thanks